The Talk Shop. A very good evening to you on this Easter Monday and welcome to the talk shop on SAFM 104-107. I am Masachaba Mdolo. Tonight in our talkback session we're focusing on the Central African Republic with the recent developments there. We're asking do we know our connection and association to this country and what are our interests in the Central African Republic? Dr. Spamandla Zondi, Director for the Institute of Global Dialogue will be joining us to talk about this. And then at around 7.40 we're looking at an update on the Arms Procurement Commission. Gamil Premhit joins us in the studio. He is an intern at the Helen Suzman Foundation, and he's written an article where he looks at some of the pros and cons with regards to the work that uh, is in front of the Arms Procurement Commission and their progress. He'll be joining us to tell us um, what exactly is going on and what are some of the limitations for the Arms Procurement Commission. Then in the second hour tonight, we're looking at Education and the Constitution. This is in commemoration of the 20th anniversary of the South African Constitution. Ntabi Bowe, who's a legal researcher at Section 27, joining us on the line to just update us what is that exactly is the role of our Constitution with regards to our education system, especially when it comes to issues of implementation. I'm sure we're all aware of the sanitation needs facing uh, young children, in not only in Limpopo, but also also in the Eastern Cape and also books delivery. So we're looking at how the uh, Department of Basic Education is held to account by using our constitution. Tabi Bowe, legal researcher at Section 27, joining us on the line. We also have African affirmations coming your way, brought to you by the ISKIA Institute right here on the talk shop. As it is a public holiday, we decided we're going to kick off with a bit of music before we get into the serious issues on the table. Balojo joins us, uh, Zero to Hero. Come here, I see you. Come. 
uh, were to inherit a, a country that never existed, mm-hmm. that never should have existed, that did not have a contiguous uh, territory of any kind, uh, did not have a national identity, uh, did not have a name yet, and and the sort of story goes, like a number of other states on the continent that should never have existed, except by the decrees of the Berlin Conference or the individual colonial powers. That's how we care about. And therefore, those are the states that were pregnant, would be pregnant with um, inherent instabilities and continuous uh, redefinition of themselves um, uh, throughout the independence period. And, and this state is typical of that. So the, the very first president was assassinated uh, hardly, a, hardly a month um, after getting into power. And uh, the a series of presidents came, mainly by coups, and 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 the last one to come by coup would be President Bozizé, who was a, a trusted general of the self-declared emperor of of the South African Republic, and he uh, came into power by military coup in 2003, and regularized later regularized um, his rule. Uh, through, an, through two elections which he won, um, which, uh, one of which was uh, boycotted by the opposition. And, uh, and, and, and the sudden now uh, recently been deposed by a coup as well, mm-hmm. as so many uh, of his predecessors had experienced before. And the conditions under which he's deposed are very similar to the ones before. A small group of uh, disgruntled people uh, mainly from the north, it's always been from the north, uh, came together and decided that the, the, guy, the guy in charge uh, suddenly is unacceptable and they need a new, a new person. Uh, they seldom have an agenda generally. They don't have like a democracy agenda or reform agenda or change and development or anything. They just want a change of the person so that a new person can come in. So the old politics of... Uh, a primitive uh, world accumulation where one uh, self-elite want to take over merely just to eat and, and have stuff for themselves. Mm. And that's the story that we, we sit with at this point. Now, we and all... South Africa's role there uh-huh. uh, should have been to uh, uh, enable uh, the South African Republic to achieve full statehood by uh, 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 providing capacity building to really firm up the establishment of the security forces there uh, through the integration of the forces that had joined government uh, around 2006 and uh, the process of redefinition of creating a new army, integrating the different forces like it happened in South Africa in 1994, uh, the, the process of creating a new doctrine and, and the new regalia and all of those things was the process that was handled by 25 South African trainers until December, when uh, when they would, when there was a danger posed to them by the, by the, the coming in of rebels in, in, in December, then a contingent of uh, specially trained special forces uh, of about 200, 280 uh, was then sent to the South African Republic to protect the South African trainers and, and the equipment that they used for training. Now, and, and then, uh, Dr. Holland, 
just just an understanding of when things changed. As you said, um, uh, the deposed president, Bozizé, um, came into power via a coup in 2003, and this was condemned at the time by both then President Mbeki and his then deputy, Jacob Zuma. So when did things change and we ended up uh, sending South African Defence Force and the Defence Department on a fact-finding mission? I think it's, it's uh, when uh, Bozizé then regularized himself uh, by you know, introducing elections, and then the elections were generally uh, seen as acceptable, which he won, and then went for the second round of elections, uh, which he also won. And I guess that uh, at that point, uh, then the, 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 the Begi government and then later the Zuma government then normalized the relationship between the two countries, as as with the, the AU did as well, the Economic uh, Commission of Alaska State, ECAS also did, and the UN. This comes, uh, brings to mind a discussion that was held uh, um, a couple of weeks ago, and I do know that PM Live was broadcasting live from the uh, colloquium, if I'm not mistaken. And, and the question has to be, when it comes to elections on the continent, when we talk about them being free and fair, what exactly do we mean? Because if they were free and fair, would we be still seeing, you know, rebel groups coming into the fray and saying, no, we're not happy with what took place here, we're changing this or we're changing that, we're deposing this particular president because our interests are not being taken care of? Um, it really depends really, Marcella, on, on, on how we, um, what assumptions we make. We can make a, a, a fairly make an, an, an assumption that the rebel groups uh, represent genuine interests, mm. genuine grievances, and therefore when they act, they really act on behalf of people who, who citizens who really are hard pressed by situations. Uh, in that particular case, then the actions of rebels should be seen as a sort of a legitimate citizen complain about an, a, an inadequate government or something. But oh, quite often, and in almost all the cases, rebels aren't, aren't genuine people. Mm-hmm. They, they are bandits. Normally, they are not driven by the interest of the people. Neither do they concern the people themselves. They are really driven by an interest in, in capturing power, um, and, 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 and running governments and, 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 and conducting military um, uh, coups. And in this particular case, it seems like the latter was the case because twice uh, President Bozizé, for all his weaknesses, was elected. And then, and the, the rebel groups, which aren't really linked to the, uh, in opposition that is on the ground, um, have decided that they want to take power by military means. And that is what we've seen on the continent since the 1960s. And in, in most of those cases, that never helped. Military government that came into power um, uh, introduced martial law, suspended freedoms, uh, cleared up people, arrested people, uh, closed down the free press, and all of those kind of things. And then completely undid its assumption that they may actually really be born out of chief genuine uh, agenda to really try and cause change uh, uh, towards a people-oriented government uh, and, and so on. Um, let's make no mistake here. 
great government of Perth, like all the other governments before that, including the first democratically elected government of 1960, mm. um, uh, had difficulties. They were never, never perfect. It was a very difficult environment. Uh, they were not, not always sufficiently uh, democratic. But then we have to think about which government is uh, sufficiently democratic uh, on the continent and in other parts of the world. Uh, and so the, the, the question about whether they're democratic enough or not uh, may mislead us, mm. uh, because the real challenge there is about how do you create a, a sense of stability, such that if there are real problems that we have with a particular government, that government is voted out of power uh, in a free and fair election. Where an election is not free and fair, then that point does not arise because people will not have had mm. a, a free option to choose uh, this government or change this government. But in this particular case, uh, generally observers found the election to be legitimate, which means people express their will without undue um, uh, influence you or dictation. Dr. Gondi, you spoke about the challenges facing this country. We're talking about uh, the population of about 4.4 million people, and yet it is one of the poorest countries in the world. What are some of the problems that have been plaguing the Central African Republic since the 1960 government came into play? It is a typical uh, challenge of many former uh, colonies of the African continent, which is a very rich country. The Southern African Republic mm. is a very rich country, but very poor citizens. Very rich because it's got huge diamonds, it's got a number of minerals, it's got a good agricultural export industry, uh, it's a small population, as you indicated, it has access to many resources, but the people of their country remain seriously poor. That's a story of the Congo Republic, that's a story of Gabon, that's a story of Chad, that's a story of many other African countries. The fundamental problem I suggest to, to us is that these countries should never have existed as individual countries in the first place, mm -hmm. but they were created on the eve of independence, and the logic was always that they would never be independent, but they would be sort of new forms of colony uh, from which the international companies and wherever else, and the, the, the local elite, which is just really just under. They, they, never, uh, they never actually established themselves as states. They are yet to achieve full statehood. Just the fact that in, in Central African Republic, as it is the case in Chad or any other country, the statehood actually exists in the capital. Beyond the capital is the rule of the jungle. So these winds uh, rebels roam freely undetected outside the capital. When they reach the capital, mm -hmm. it becomes a crisis, which suggests to you that national security, that, uh, that statehood exists only in the capital. And I think that's a fundamental problem. Mm. Under those conditions, then, a government does not really control uh, the decisions that are taken in that country, even if it was well-meaning, and a number of those governments aren't well-meaning anyway. And therefore, they are not able to translate the huge potential they have into real economic development. Neither are they allowed to do so, by the way, because many of them do not decide what they want, because they have indebted themselves so badly that they depend on the debtors uh, for decisions about what to do with investments, what to do with economic policy, and many of them depend on 
and those traditions you know, can then hardly say that these states have been decolonized. Many of them are yet to be decolonized. Mm-hmm. And this is the fact that it is the fault both of the colonizers and of the African elite that heavily inherited really uh, poison chalice. Now, in terms of uh, the former President Bozizé and uh, how he came into power, it was through a military coup. So why then would the Central African Republic be asking South Africa for um, assistance with regards to rebuilding their army? Yes. Uh, once they became a, they normalized themselves, which is then, uh, um, like many, many African leaders, you can look at the, the president of Rwanda, uh, we can look at the uh, Congo, at, at Angola. Many of them, when they started out, the first rise to power was by, by a coup. Then elections were run. Then they they won elections, which means then they've legitimized themselves mm-hmm. in terms of international law. So they are legitimate. Mm-hmm. They are former coup leaders who won elections uh, civilian way. Uh, for that reason, then, uh, a country can relate to those countries um, in, in a normal way where the interest uh, compares. The second reason is South Africa, uh, since Mandela, uh, positioned itself as a peace builder and a stabilizer of the African continent. Uh, that it cannot prosper unless the continent is stabilized. Mm-hmm. That is why the very first foreign policy actions that Mandela took was to uh, get involved in stabilization of the Congo and then of Burundi. In those cases, too, uh, the governments that we contributed in stabilizing, such as in, 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 in the government of Kabila in the DRC, had come in a coup. Uh, there was a coup against the, that atrocious dictatorship mm. of, of Mobutu as a second. Mm-hmm. There was a coup. There, was a, there wasn't an election that brought in, 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 in the, the government that we assisted in Burundi either. But the idea was to assist these countries to normalize themselves. You either wait and see and, 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 and uh, ring your hands and stand and wait for them to be normalized, or you normalize them uh, so that you can relate with them later on. So I think that was the, the idea. It's a difficult dilemma. Um, and it, it is a moral dilemma either way. If you stand back and don't assist, do not cry foul when they fall into the hands of, of, of former colonial powers or they, they cause a even greater damage to the African continent, which we cannot extricate ourselves from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or if you get involved, then find a moral dilemma such as the one that you are in right now. We're talking to Dr. Spamant Lazondi, Director for the Institute of Global Dialogue. And tonight in our talkback session, we're focusing on the Central African Republic, asking, do we know our connection and association to this country as South Africa? And what are our interests in the Central African Republic? We're taking your calls 0891 or SMS 34701. SMS number is 34701, and SMSs are charged at 2 rand. Alternatively, you can visit our Facebook page, SAFM Radio. Our Facebook page is SAFM Radio. I'm looking at some of uh, the postings that are coming in already. Tato Mashangua Mkhosi saying, there are none. We have no interest in the Central African Republic. Who are we protecting? The SANDF must give us the answer to that question. And... uh, 
Kumbuzo Mtalani says soldiers were deployed in the Central African Republic to protect Kulubuse's business at our expense. Uh, Standing Govenni saying we have not been informed in the first place. Why now do we have to get involved? Let all who started end it and stop making an issue and confusing us with something that most of us are aware that it makes no difference. There's no difference that we are going to make there. It's coming in from Stenlingo Veni. Melusi Kumalo says, I still don't get it. Why South Africa is obligated to protect the whole continent? Firstly, Wasatic countries, now uh, other countries outside the region. We're not America. South Africa is still a developing country and we have enough problems of our own. Palang Machele says, uh, under President Zuma's administration, everything is falling apart. We have lost direction. Why are our soldiers there? Um, uh, if it has something to do with capacity building, why were they attacked? We need answers, says Palang. And... Um, Mvumelwano Mkieti saying, by the look of things, there are few people who exactly know the involvement of SANDF in that country. Um, it reminds me of a story uh, goes on Mvumelwano, written by Paul Zeleza, where he said Africans died in the Second World War, which was not of their making and which they could not understand. There's a, an understanding Dr. Zondi, that um, the, the call to come in and assist the Central African Republic is something new. This was an agreement that was signed in 2007. Am I correct? Yes, and that is why my, my uh, compatriots who um, um, uh, makes a statement that this is all done to protect Kulubu's interests. Uh, it was very interesting. There was then suggesting that President Begi deploys troops there in 2007 to protect Kulubu's business before Kulubu's became a prominent businessman. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to understand it. Uh, I would need to be convinced. But that even that, that uh, under President Zuma... That business interest did follow. Yes. Uh, what what started, but the, the agreement was signed by um, the, the, the defense minister at the time, Kera Ricotta, under the, the government of President Begin and his counterpart from the South African Republic that led to the deployment of the uh, less than 30 uh, soldiers uh, to train and stabilize the, the, the South African Republic, as it did in a number of countries. And I think we should also be careful as South Africans to say that South Africa has no interest in the central of mm. the Republic. Uh, at the same time, say that we need our country to grow, we need investments, and we need jobs. We can't have it both ways. We can't have your cake and eat it. You either go out there and open up space and make investments, and all allow the Chinese and the Japanese and the, and, and the Turks and others to take up all that business and, and end up with the big cake we have and share it with the ever-increasing numbers of people. The reality we have to face that our country has to go out there, stabilize those countries, but we want them to also open up business opportunities for us because that money flows back to us and it fits uh, into our fiscals. It enables us to pay the, 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 the grants that we pay and, 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 and drive our own development. We really just cannot suggest that we can do without Africa when we take it for granted that we can do with Europe. It's a form of a colonial mentality that we, even us, black South Africans, have so much advice that we think that Africa is not, uh, is not, is not our, our issue, but we don't question the fact that we are in Latin America, we are in Europe, mm. we, we have a strong relationship with the U.S. I think it's a fundamental problematic.
keeps on being asked over and over again by critics is why um, our troops were kept in the Central African Republic when warnings of growing instability started way back. Yeah, that's a question that the, the military people must, must answer because we knew at the beginning of December that the, the, the government was almost overrun. And, and therefore, our uh, presence on the ground was under threat. But what we do know is that then is that at that point that they decided to deploy this, tw- this 280 or so uh, special forces to just protect the South African uh, assets and the South African barrack only. And uh, that uh, in doing so, they had, had, we had in December, if you look at the statement made in December, the President Zuma had spoken to all the members of the ECAS, the regional body, to make sure that they understand what is being done. And they had to talk to the AU and talk to the UN uh, and explain what they were doing. Mm-hmm. It is really a mess to why then the, the South African barracks were were attacked. I can only speculate on a number of things. One speculation is that it's huge, it's got huge ammunition there that the rebels need, because in order to fight the war, you need ammunition. They needed to overrun that, capture all the equipment, and use it to further for their war. The second thing is that, given the fact that many of those soldiers, uh, some of those soldiers were actually trained by South Africa, and defected to the uh, the rebel movement. They understood exactly what they could get from the South Africans and, and, and thought that they could overrun them very quickly because they were very small and, and thought they might take advantage. Maybe somebody made a foolish mistake and, 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 and it turned out they could not really overrun them maybe with huge numbers. The last one is there might have been a, 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 a point at which the Lega coalition thought that the present, the real mayor presence of the South African soldiers, even if they are not involved in any war, but their mere presence makes it very difficult for them to run amok in that in that city and all and all of that. And the last one is that they may be perceived to be uh, propping up for the mm. uh, government. Any of those reasons are possible, but we do need to send out our intelligence, to send out our people on the ground, the diplomats to understand the situation. I also think we need to send out independent research organizations to try and understand what could have given rise to what is so very unusual? Mm. Uh, rebels don't usually attack international forces on the ground. They that the rule. They don't respect many rules, but that is the rule. We have been in situations where our uh, there was way in Burundi, and the FNL party behaved to a big rebel group. There is an atrocious one as well. Uh, attacked Bujumbura while we were there, but they did not touch did not even get near our barrack because they understood the rule. But something went wrong in this particular case and they broke uh, what had become a rule. We didn't need to get to the bottom of it so that if they need to be punished for it, they need to be punished so that we don't set a trend where uh, uh, uninvolved uh, forces get drawn into national uh, conflict and that may actually cause even more complex problems for the continent.
I want to take calls, um, but when we are, before we let you go, Dr. Zondi, I want to go back to the issue of the business interest that you mentioned earlier on. There are reports in certain newspapers, specifically in the Mail and Guardian, talking about uh, the deals that were signed with regards to the diamond market in the Central African Republic and how some of uh, South Africans are benefiting, or South African elite, if one can put it that way, are benefiting from these uh, business uh, agreements or business deals. But let's take calls on this. 0891-104-207. 0891-104-207. Or SMS 34701. SMS number is 34701. And SMSs are charged at two rand. We're focusing on the Central African Republic on our talkback session tonight, trying to understand what our connection and association to this war-ridden country is and what are our interests in the CAR. Hope in Johannesburg. Good evening to you and Dada. Welcome. Good evening, Machaba and Dr. Zondi. Firstly, I want to congratulate Dr. Zondi's uh, Institute for Non-Sensational Research, scholarly work they are doing on our continent. Then, yeah, Dr. Zondi is well clued up with many of the things which are going on on the continent. That's why we have him as our guest. My worry is the level of ignorance about our continent mm. in South Africa is mm-hmm. shocking. The agreement was on from 2007. Now mm-hmm. President Zuma is being accused of this and that. Kuluwuse was probably still a taxi driver at that time. Um, now, I don't understand. I mean, everything blamed on Zuma, that. I don't know. I mean, if you are there to train people, you have got rebels who attack your camp. As soldiers, I think military, do you just pack and run away when you are an army? Hey, where has that kind of thing happened? When these guys attack the camp, they wanted ammunition or weapons. And then soldiers were expected to raise their hands and die, all of them. Because when you deal with rebels, some of them use drugs, they use all sorts of things. These are not a normal army you are dealing with. They now asking us to assist them to, to have peace. Child soldiers were involved. My issue with Dr. Zondi is that what are we going to do with parochialism in South Africa? Some of the people who say, what are we doing, are the same people who said we should invade Zimbabwe. Okay. Uh, All right. and, 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 and fight the Zimbabwean army. I don't know how we're going to do it because that's a regular army, one of the armies which is, was strong. I don't know, the parochialism, the anti-African sentiment among the chattering classes of South Africa. That's problem, Dr. Zondi. Okay. We have a problem of Afrophobia and parochialism in our country. Let's get a response. Thank you so much, Hope, in Johannesburg. And the, the reason why we are trying to understand exactly what is going on in the Central African Republic, it's a follow-up of a discussion that I'm sure you remember we had, asking how interested and involved are we in the developments on the rest of the continent? Do we even know what is going on in, um, in, in, in Bujumbura, for instance? Um, and, and we could go on and on. And uh, we had a whole discussion around this. And when this story story broke with regards to the developments in the Central African Republic, a lot of us were left absolutely confounded as to who exactly are these people and what is going on and what is our association with uh, the Central African Republic. That should not be the case. This is a country on the continent, and if we're talking about African Renaissance, then we all have to be on board with regards to what is happening in uh, countries in neighboring, not only neighboring, but on the whole continent as a whole. Philip Anim Singh, I'm Chesarin. Good evening.
to you and welcome. Hi, Masaba. Hi, Philip. Uh, and, and Dr. Zondi. You, you know, to me, this issue is twofold. Firstly, is that uh, withdrawing troops uh, from CAR will be a disaster uh, to the entire African uh, uh, continental objectives because people of Africa are looking forward to South Africa to play a fundamental role mm-hmm. in ensuring that Africa is changed uh, for the better, uh, for Africans to live a better life, to lead a better life, as President Abumpegi tried enormously in the past. Uh, 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 but then secondly, is the question that says, we, we must never, ever, uh, uh, think of just uh, of equating uh, uh, the humiliation that uh, uh, we got uh, uh, to political failures. Because here there are clear uh, of political failures. Remember, South African government was warned uh, by troops, based by the commander, warning the South African government to say, repairs are advancing. Nothing was done mm-hmm. in terms of reinforcement, a rapid uh, force reaction uh, in order to ensure that we are not dealt at a blow like what, what we saw. So we must, as a country, be able to send our forces uh, to that Central African Republic to fight these repairs and just exterminate them out and just ensure that they maintain the dignity, the superiority of us as South Africans. But we must be able to deal with Zuma's misleading things because, to me, South Africa went to CAR saluting purposes by those who use ANC as a weapon to enrich themselves. Okay. And that right. is a fact. Okay, and Philip. Yeah, I, I hear you. And uh, again, it goes back to these business interests that we've been reading about and some of the reports in some of uh, the news media. Luluin Bloom in the Free State. Hi and welcome. Good evening. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, ma'am. Go ahead. Right. Okay. Um, I read in the Fox Black, the local... Uh, paper which has considerable weight that um, South African troops or officers or whoever had to go and plead, you heard me, plead for weapons or uh, what is tourist, um, well, weapons and whatever goes with it. The, I just can't remember for, the right For the, for the soldiers. To defend themselves mm. uh, before our boys were cut down, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they they were not um, properly. Um, they didn't have the, the proper uh, weapons and, and etc. to defend uh-huh. themselves. Mm-hmm. As I said, they had to plead for help from the French. Why was this so badly organised? Why did we have to defend certain rights? Whatever our boys defended, by boys I mean as in the face of Sons. They yes. were all our sons. Absolutely. Lulu and in the Free State, thank you very much for the call. Dr. Zondi, I think this becomes the problem that keeps coming up over and over again, is news reports of uh, our soldiers being ill-equipped, not having um, the necessary equipment, the n- necessary weaponry, and 
after having asked over and over again, um, not getting a response, not getting any assistance from our very own government that posted them there, um, from your understanding and, and your research of, of this whole issue, what is the full story um, with regards to the equipment uh, and how equipped our soldiers were? Um, uh, we, we haven't really done any research with regards to this. Neither have people who have spoken with authority on this, and I know that they have not done any research too. And when this surfaced, I remember that it was uh, mentioned in a fast aid debate uh, on this very radio um, by the, the trade union, mm-hmm. uh, soldiers' trade union, yes. and they said they had from one of their own, and they couldn't mention who exactly, uh, what do they mean by under-equipped. I know the challenge I have, I'm not a military analyst, so I can't say equipped means one, two, three, four, under-equipped means one, two, three, four. Neither can I say that in a battle between 3,000 people and uh, 3,000 soldiers and 2,000 soldiers, and the loss of 13 means, uh, the 200 were under-equipped, because I would have thought if they were under-equipped, they were completely overrun. I think I am, I would rather err uh, on the uh, basis of saying, let us get the facts first right, and not uh, allow myself to really just uh, take up uh, every rumor that is being mentioned without actually understanding what it means. I really do not understand what under-equipped and under-equipped mean in this particular case, I'm really mm. ignorant on this particular issue, but uh, it does seem as if, uh, but there's clearly the indication in this that there must have been an intelligence failure, because deployed, the newly deployed forces in January would have almost automatically included our intelligence services and the, the military intelligence services, and in those particular cases in a, in a publicized conflict, just this one, they, would, they should have picked up in a day or two uh, that there was going to be danger in South Africa, mainly because some of the soldiers that are part of the rebel group uh, were trained by South Africa. And I think that uh, there are lessons to be learned, huge lessons to be learned, maybe some explanations to be made with regards to how did we not pick this up. Mm, mm. Um, um, especially not that the, the, the rebels are going to come into the city, because we knew they were going to come, yes. but that they had uh, motives to not just go to the palace, the presidential palace, but digress to our um, to our barracks, which means they had to digress, move away. It's a deliberately move to our barracks where our soldiers were inside, which means they are not actively involved in, in, in war in order to attack it. Something must have been picked up well in advance with regards to that. Uh, because if they've been uh, picked up, that South African soldiers would have had to be moved very quickly mm. to, the air, to the airport where other other forces would have been uh, also a source of support. You talk- uh, I think there is some explanation to be made there. Dr. Zondi, you talk about explanations um, needing to be made. Um, by whom and from whom? Because it seems to me that the, the, the trust between the government of South Africa and the people of South Africa, especially with uh, the South African National Defense Force, seems to have been broken. Whatever the SANDF says, there's a counter-argument that labels them as uh, trying to, you know, uh, to, to, to uh, uh, get through their own propaganda. Whatever statements are forthcoming from government are said yeah. to be um, tainted with them trying yeah. to protect their own business interests. There are two problems here. Yeah. 
One problem is our own government's problem. Uh, you know when the issue face statement was made, um, certain things were said, but certain things were not said. And then, you know, individual ministers, especially ministers of defense, would then release decrypt, decrypt. What that does is that it creates an impression that there is more in your cabinet that you must release. Instead of just coming out clean and, and, and gave you the, the facts on the table, even it came out, and I will say, I know it's confidential, but in these, in these cases, you need to do certain things. And uh, print out the, the MOU between South Africa and the Central African Republic. This was done in public. There are television uh, footage of, of that. And, you know, and, and they out all the facts about how the attack happened, from which angle, draw, create drones, just to make sure that you, 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 you take the people of South Africa into your confidence. But there's a second problem. Mm. The second problem is that South Africa is a contested country. There are those who automatically would never uh, accept government position. Their agenda is not to get the facts, but their agenda is to uh, is, 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 uh, is, is to score political points uh, and all of that. Part of that agenda is a lack of trust of the government. That truth must be actually accepted. It is it exists among South Africans, black white South Africans, but it also exists among black uh, middle class uh, uh, people. That we we've come. And this was learned long time ago from Franz Fanon's writing, that, that a, a black man has been despised over a period of time, so much so that he started to doubt himself and that lack of confidence in himself. And therefore, anything black must be doubted in a way. And therefore, that, those things do come into the picture. So when you find that uh, you have to pick up whatever skeleton just to uh, confirm the fact that these guys cannot be it cannot be trusted. So that the, the business interests that are being pulled up, for example, the military guys, they're all black. Mm-hmm. It suggests that black people are corrupt. So black business that follows South African business must be corrupt. And the white business that follows against South African uh, government is somehow normal business. I, I think we all have to be honest here and say there are many skeletons in our own cabinet and we use sometimes these, these things in, in order to play out our own secret agendas. Hope spoke about a, an, an Afro-pessimism, almost an Afro-hate, where we are, as South Africans, um, there is an agenda being driven um, that is hateful of any developments on the continent. That's the mistake we make. Many of us underestimate the impact of colonialism and apartheid in our mentality. It may have died a long time ago, but it continues to live in our mind because it created a condition of mind that suggests that some things about blackness and certain things about whiteness. And these things continue to live with us today. And, and, and it suggests that some certain things about what do we mean by the continent of mm. Africa. Exactly what David Livingston uh, believed about Africa in the 1800s. Many of us continue to believe about Africa today, and then you say there is a post-colonial. Uh, therefore, the cause of a post-colonial it may be misleading because it suggests there was an end when there has been a continuity uh, since, since, since that period. And therefore, many South Africans hold huge, uh, huge embarrassment about being African when it means being belonging to a continent which is why many of us go to Africa when we're actually in Africa. And when many of us uh, would rather see our soldiers in the streets of London uh, than 
Farmers had no problem with the signing of an agreement with Tony Blair, but they have a problem with the signing agreement uh, with, with Paul Kagame. Uh, these are all deep-seated problems that we don't speak about, but we speak in metaphors. Sometimes we think we disagree about something, but we actually need to go deeper to it. It is actually about wrestling with our African nets as, as South Africans. And many of us South Africans do not see ourselves as South Africans either. Many of us see ourselves as something else and then South Africa. And African is even uh, further from us. And therefore, there's that deep hatred of Africa, which is a sort of safe hatred for us black people, many of us black South Africans, and a form of hatred of the other, the debased, the, 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 the former colonial possession for those who are descendants of the colonial, uh, of the colonial settlers. Dr. Zondi, unfortunately we have to leave it right there. I think the issue on uh, business interests that have been raised has been answered with regards to, as you're saying, who are these allegations coming from? And uh, maybe, and not even maybe, we will be discussing um, again on this issue in the future as we look at developments in the Central African Republic. Thank you so, so much for your time, sir. Really, really appreciate it. You're most very welcome. Thank you so much. Dr. Spamanta Zondi, Director for the Institute of Global Dialogue, joining us on the line, taking us through the developments in the Central African Republic. I'm sure you've heard in the news that the coup leader, uh, Dotodia, has already solidified his hold on the government uh, by announcing that he will serve as both president and defense minister, and other top posts are going to his fellow rebels. We will keep you posted on what is taking place or what is happening in the Central African Republic right here on the talk shop and on SAFM as a whole. This is SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader.